Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a pair of very strange games to talk about today. But before we do that, don't forget to follow our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify because saying nice things makes you feel better. And I think, you know, if you can make any Spurs fan feel better right now, you know, aren't you obligated to do it? We've got our regular lineup back this week, coming to us live from South Florida. He's making his way towards accepting our new Masonic overlords, but it is tough sledding. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, what level of masonry have you arrived at this week? Uh, <laughs> are, there, are there levels to it? Like, yes, is it yes, like, yes, Brian, there are levels. Is it like Scientology lock. where there's levels? It's exactly like that. Are you are, have yeah. you accepted the Scottish right in your heart? I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but I yeah sure why no I haven't because we still keep <laughs> conceding dumb goals. I don't know. I I wasn't prepared for this question. No one ever is. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> why would Greg mention our new manager to the guy who notoriously hates him? <laughs> who could have seen that coming? Yeah, no, I mean, but I just wasn't prepared to talk about Freemasons and then Scientology. Okay. You, you do a podcast, Brian. Do a podcast with me. And you're not ready to talk about Freemasons, Brian. Like you really yeah, only have I mean, here. But everything I know about Freemasons, I learned from like those Da Vinci Code books. Same. So, <laughs> and it's and been so hell. long since I've read them. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to <laughs> us from East start. Atlanta, he's sitting up top, soaking. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, has, has Ryan Mason – Ryan Mason's been able to inspire a locker room, but has he inspired you to control the world's political and economic systems yet since, you know, we're talking about Freemasonry? Look, this is borderline anti-Semitic, and I won't participate. Yeah. <laughs> See? That's what I should have said. <laughs> Just reject the frame of the question, Brian. That's how you get through it. Dude, you know, I was on a podcast dude, dude, with Kaylee for problem, years. You think I'd know not, how to I'm do not that. Sure. You're asking me about controlling the world's political and economic, whatever you said. Well, I don't see conspiracy theories as, you know, through through the lens of race, Ben. Maybe maybe you should broaden your mind. Open your third eye or something. I don't know. Yeah, thank you. Right. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's what <laughs> Was I'm that a Mason about. thing? Yes, I did one. <laughs> sure. Why not? I don't know. Is that Illuminati? Don't they? Somebody it's has same, the eye. It's the same thing. I'm, I, we're, we don't care enough to draw distinctions on this podcast. Sure. But we don't want to people into this. You know, I think we probably are going to have to to make it through this season. Absolutely. Which brings me to my first question. <laughs> Is Jurgen Klopp a lizard person? 100% for sure. 100%. Got it. I don't ben. think lizards have teeth like that. I don't think that's a lizard quality. <laughs> 
You know, but they, if uh, you were a lizard person and you wanted to convince people that you were in fact a person, right. wouldn't you get ridiculous big teeth? Yeah, you get some George Washington teeth made to throw in your mouth. And yeah. Convince no, no one would think that you're you're actually a lizard person. Yeah. And you know, notorious weirdos have always been able to hide out in football, so it's a great place. It's an re- excellent disguise. Guys, I'm really proud of how far you've taken this question. I thought I would just get some uncomfortable silence and we'd have to move on, but I'm really proud. No, we're going to save that for a worse joke later. Okay, fair enough. Uh, So let's talk about Liverpool, since we're already on the subject of lizard person Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Tottenham lost this game 4-3. You know, I was pretty angry at the end of this game, but in retrospect, I am... I mean, this is probably the happiest I've been with Spurs since we beat Chelsea. If only because we showed a bunch of fight back and, I, I don't know, initiative. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. But, Ben, how, how do you feel after this game? Did, did Ryan stir the embers of your cold, dark heart? Yeah, he did. And it pisses me off. <laughs> I thought I thought I was out, you know. I was like, you know what? It's a beautiful, sunny afternoon. I don't have to do this. And then I didn't leave my couch. And I kept watching. And... It, it pulled me back in, only to make me fucking mad in the end. And, you know, I wasn't even mad at the team for conceding three horrendously stupid goals. I was just mad about Lucas Mora and the referees. And, like, that's the good kind of bad at Tottenham that, like, you want to be, you know? Like, I don't want to be mad at our inept defense. I don't want to be mad at the stuff that we did bad. I want to be mad at how the world and the universe is conspiring against us. And this gave me that. And so, you know, I guess I'm, I'm happy that I'm mad in this specific way. Yeah, it is better than the alternative, I think. Although we, we're still mad at Lucas Mora, which is like the one major constant of being a Spurs fan. Um, you know, I, it's <laughs> the, this game was like like you said it was it started off where we were all just like you know what it can't hurt us anymore like we it's gotten as bad as it can possibly get how bad could this liverpool game be and then they scored two in the first 5 minutes and you're like it's happening again why why is it happening again are we going to fire another interim manager um and then it kind of like sorted itself out and we righted the ship and we played some really good football and you know really aside from those first 15 minutes where Liverpool scored three goals we were maybe even the better team um like we had some really good chances we hit the post and the crossbar a few times like you know by the time we finally scored to get into the match like we could have actually been level if like the ball had moved, you know, an inch one way or the other. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's it's good to feel good about some of these guys again. It's good to look at players like Richarlison and Pedro Porro and see some of the good things they're doing. Uh, but like at the end of the day, we still lost, and it was still on like a really dumb and bad mental error from a player who really shouldn't be anywhere near this team, and that still kind of like sticks in my craw sorry about your craw thanks i appreciate it like ben said you're just sort of mad at the universe as opposed to like 
And Ryan yeah. Mason specifically, and uh, Lucas Mora. But we're not like here yelling about Daniel Levy or the decline of our club or having another conversation about like when things went wrong at Spurs, which I'm sure will happen many times over the years. But it was, it was, it just felt unfair. It was nice to have a game that we lost against Liverpool and like it didn't feel like we got shellacked. It didn't feel like, you know, God, we fucked this up from start to finish again. It felt like for all the stuff with Lucas Mora, who deserves every bit of blame coming his way. It really does feel like, you know, we kind of got screwed in this game because, you know, the guy who scored the winner shouldn't have been on. Uh, You know, I don't think it's terribly entertaining to talk about refereeing decisions, but it's sort of hard to ignore the fact that, like, you know, Jota, like, you know, did a like, I don't know, tried to put his shoe through Skip's face with his studs up and somehow stayed on the pitch. It's. I don't know. It's it, this was in a way there was something nice about this because it was all service as usual against Liverpool, where Spurs give up stupid goals they shouldn't, they don't score as many goals as they should, and then something extremely stupid and unfair keeps us from getting points out of the match, which is I feel like how every match against Liverpool goes. It's the opposite of what we do against City. This is what happens when we get rid of Eric Lamella. We lose that edge in shithousery to chisel the referee into giving us the penalties that we deserve. But Charleston just doesn't have the juice. I mean, he almost did. So should have got a penalty, but can't sell it like Lamella. No one, no one can. And it's kind of funny that Lamella used to get away with those things, considering, like, it's not like he didn't have a reputation. <laughs> but... Yeah, so I think by and large between the Man U game and the Liverpool game, it was like not a great week of like soccer. It was not like, oh, we've we've seen the Ryan Mason era taking shape, and it is you know a vision and a philosophy and a way of playing that is good and effective. But you know we've had visions and ways of playing for a long time, and it has not been good. And you know, I. I I hate to go all your da on on the pod, but it was good to see some fucking give a shit out there and see the players two games in a row fight back from what should have been and what was only a week earlier, just a complete and utter capitulation um, to actually say, like, no, we're not going out like this. And, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about, like, what a bunch of losers these guys are (laughs) at various points in the season, just seeing the way they down tools at, like, the – slightest sign of adversity and we didn't get that and that's like a huge huge positive change um and i think it's worth pointing out that this is this is better it's not great but it's better it's not just better than the newcastle game this is better than brighton i mean this is better than a lot of our kind of shitty performances over the last couple years or weeks (laughs) years too like defensively that's a whole separate problem but like in attack it looks like our guys remembered how to do that thing that leads to scoring goals in a way that they haven't in a while. I mean, Sun looks like a man reborn. Perisic looks reborn. Like a lot of guys suddenly look like something was keeping them from playing good soccer. And now that something is no longer there. Well, I'll tell you the, an interesting side effect of these past few weeks. And Brian, I'm interested in your thoughts on this is like, I'm not sure how to judge any of these new arrivals anymore. Um, you know, because you look at, like, Son and Perisic. <laughs> well, that's a hot take. Um, They're coming for you. 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. I think Pursue might not be bad. Um, but, you know, you look at some of the newer editions. I'm not talking about your Lucas Moores of the world. But I'm talking about your, you know, your Basumas, your even Pedro Poros, you know, some of the Richarlson, um, Kuliszewski. I think it's hard to accurately judge these guys after the season and what Conte's done. And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I'm going to use Basum as an example. You go into the summer, and I think we all thought we wasted some money and this guy's not good enough and all this other stuff. But, you know, I don't know how to judge these guys anymore because I think there's a very real case to be made looking at Son and Perisic that, like, these guys were being wildly mismanaged this year. And it might not be the, at least entirely their fault. Yeah, I think the the problem with that though is like we can continue to extend that backward quite a ways. Like you know, some of these guys were mismanaged under Mourinho, and then they were mismanaged under Nuno, and then they were mismanaged under Conte. And you know, at what point were these guys mismanaged, and at what point are they not good? And so. While I broadly agree with your sentiment with respect to guys like Basuma and Poro, like where we don't necessarily know what they'll look like and we don't know what they'll look like in some other system. And with them, it's it's particularly because we've seen them be good so recently. Um, But, you know, I think the question of whether, you know, a Perisic is good or is Sessegnon good or or some of these other guys, Longley, are some of these other guys that are have been not good for Spurs. Are they actually not good or are they um, more not good because of our bad manager situation is an important question. But like, yeah, I, I, I think broadly speaking. I want whoever the new manager is to come in and evaluate these guys. I'm not I'm not cutting these new guys loose and saying like, okay, Pedro Poro, you don't fit here because now we don't play with wingbacks. I'm letting whoever comes in look at this guy and decide. I appreciate you both laying the groundwork for Ndombele's glorious return. Like I agree. We I'm just super don't know. Excited. I think there's I think there's a difference between the guys. <laughs> who was just like no, 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 no. You said what you said. Right? Under yeah, no take backs. No take backs. Uh, I don't know. I don't think of our lone army. I know a lot of Spurs fans are talking to themselves in Los Celso. I tend to think Los Celso and Dombley. There's let's table there's... this. Let's finish the Liverpool game before we okay. start talking about Los Celso. Okay, let's do that. You um, sure could have used a guy like Los Celso. <laughs> we could have, honestly. Or, um, or we could have just played Sar. <laughs> which which, which I think did eventually. Eventually. Like, he came on like the sixty something minute, right? Like it wasn't yeah, after it wasn't, like, an 80, it wasn't like an eightieth minute special, is all I'm saying. I mean, here's my thing with it is we've seen the new well, we've seen a lot of matches recently with Skip and Hoybeard, but after Newcastle and United especially, it's just like Let's see something else, like any anything else at all, because the Skip Hoybeerg midfield just doesn't work for any number of reasons. Like, you know, Hoybeerg's legs are dead. Skip is just like not quite good enough to play that in a two. Well, um, I think there's some problems here, though, because I think having a two man midfield is is difficult and, you know, I, I don't think he's it's doing anyone on this team any favors, but you know, I think part of what we're seeing with Mason is he's not 
radically changing things. Now, I think Sar should be getting more minutes, but I understand after, especially you look at what happened at Newcastle. It's like, let's try something completely new. You know, there's a level at which I feel like Mason is, you know, he's got to sort of keep things within the lines to some extent. Now, if he's going to put Sar on to get like significant minutes in every match, I don't really care if he's a sub at this point. I'm more concerned about it for next year, but you know, sort of where we are, I kind of understand him not trying to rock the boat too much. Yeah, and I mean, I guess Sar did play technically in the Newcastle match, and he was just hauled off after 15 minutes so we could make our switch to three at the back. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I've i seen enough of both Hoiberg and Skip over the last few seasons to know what they are. Like, I'm not by any means advocating that, you know, Skip be, you know, put out to pasture or anything because... I think, you know, he's still young and he's still homegrown and he in a in a squad that has to play multiple matches in a week. I think he's probably a useful player for us. But like, I'm also very interested in the 19 or 20 year old kid who's, you know, getting minutes for his national team at that age and, you know, helping them make deep runs into the World Cup and the African Cup of Nations and all that sort of stuff. Like, I want to see that kid play more. And especially if the performances have been so middling and the results have been so bad and it now seems like we're not even really playing for anything. So what are we doing? I'm just trying to keep that stout defensive shape that Mason has organized so well. Yeah. Which is also why Lucas Moore was playing right back at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Mason obviously has a lot to go as a manager probably. And I think this is not the ideal situation for him to, like Greg said, really tinker with things and like put his stamp on it. But I think the fact that we haven't seen anything resembling like a cohesive defensive structure is, is telling like, nobody looks good at the back. Like the whole thing is absolutely chaotic. You see, you know, if you look back at every goal we concede, it's like the line is ragged. Players are dragged all out of position. Nobody knows how to cover midfield. You've got, you know, skip being bypassed, Dyer stepping out to cover people passing right behind Dyer. No one's covering where Dyer's vacated. Like it's all just like individuals out there trying to just play the game the way that they know how. And, like, to the extent that has led to some improvement in the attack, it's just you can't organize a defense that way. That's not something that you can get by with on vibes. And, you know, it would be nice for... I don't know what future I expect out of Ryan Mason and Spurs. You know, I certainly am not one of the people who want him to take over in the summer. I think to the extent that contingent exists, they're vanishingly small, thank God. But, you know, I do root for Mason to succeed as a coach in his career. And this is something that I would love to see in the next handful of games that we have left him demonstrate the slightest facility to do. Uh, because, you know, if we didn't concede two goals in the first 15 minutes every game, we might actually, like, win a few. And that will be really fun. It, it would be. And I think one thing that's nice about Mason, and maybe it's just after like two years of Conte's terrorism and Mourinho before that. I mean, we, I, I'm sure we said this when he was our last interim manager. But like, 
whatever else he needs to work on. He doesn't need to work on the communications aspect of it. I mean, that is a man who gets it. He understands how to talk about the club. He understands how to sort of like gracefully deal with some things that certain managers who have had work done on their teeth and wear baseball hats all the time, don't know how to handle as gracefully. Like I thought, I thought like you, you listen to him talk about the way the game went. And, you know, he said, like, oh, well, we were the better team more than us. Like, is that a little bit of a lie? Is that embellishing a little bit? Sure. Is that, like, you know, slagging off the, the, the other manager in the way that Jurgen Klopp was? Also, no. Like, I thought the way he handled the red card thing was, like, I thought he was sort of indignant and clearly, you know, sort of made he, – he, he made clear how bad it was – but also, he's not like Jose Mourinho out there putting on, like, you know, running a circus. It was like, it's just, he's dignified. He represents the club well. It's very nice. And I, I you know, he is not a footballer I enjoyed all watching all that much. But it certainly makes you, you know, I mean, obviously, he's Tottenham through and through. He's a fan of the club. But it makes, watching him talk about the team, talk about the game, it makes you want to watch. It makes you want him to succeed. And I hope he does it. I think he needs more seasoning. I think he needs to go be an actual coach somewhere. I have no clue what kind of manager he would be in terms of how he would like to set up to play because, you know, I think at both stints, he's very obviously just sort of like trying to keep things moving and doing what he can and operating within those constraints, which I think does recommend him on a certain level. Like Stellini, what he did against Newcastle was just so unforgivably naive. It's almost hard to believe it happened. You know, I whatever else you want to say about Ryan Mason, I don't think that happens if he's running the club there. And I don't know if, like, we put Mason in charge instead of Stellini, if we're still maybe have a chance at Champions League qualification, but it's probably more likely. I mean, Mason's kind of doing what I, ex- what I thought we would do under Stellini because I, I thought that made a lot of sense because, okay, let's mix things up a little bit, but basically we're going to try and, you know, follow the system that we've put in place all year to the end of the year. Cause you're not going to change everything. You know, you're not going to reinvent the wheel this late in the season, but you know, whatever else you want to say about Mason, Newcastle, I don't think happens under him. No. And I, I was just going to say that, you know, the most impressive thing about the coaching job that Mason's done is the improvement he's managed to make in such a short time on Lucas Morris touch. Um, because I mean, the way he takes that ball down right. out of the sky <laughs> And then just one time's like a perfect through ball. Uh, I mean, you know, we've never seen him do that except against IX. And um, he's just it's its amazing what he's been able to do um, with such a limited amount of time to work with these guys. Yeah, he's not uh, he's not perfect because I don't understand why, why uh, Moore is on the pitch at that point. I mean, I mean, I do like. I'm not like it's not a good idea. Like you should never play Lucas Mora. That's like a cardinal rule of this team by now. But you know, credit to Ryan for making subs proactively early in both games. You know, he's out there trying to do things. And you know, I think Dan Juma would have been enough in that moment to like throw on another attacker and try and push for the winner. You know, you took off Pedro Porro, who was having a fantastic second half to bring on Lucas. And it was just like, he was just trying too much. It was just like, do less, you know, like, well, it, I think there's a lot of like managers who won't sub because they trust their philosophy. They trust their initial plan and they just want to let it cook and give it time to like happen. 
And Ryan Mason has no plans, and he took kind of the opposite approach of just like, let's get them all out there and let's, you know, win one for the Gipper. And like, that's also not good. Like, you have to be able to recognize what is and isn't working and don't just like throw somebody on for the Well, help. I think if we're going to defend the substitution, I think the thing that makes sense about it is he put Mason on, or me, he put Lucas on when we were chasing the game. I mean, you know. Right, but he put a worse attacking player on for a yeah. good attacking now, player. <laughs> You're you're right. There's no reason to take Pedro Porro off unless it was a 90th there's a, minute. It was unless like, there's a health issue. Unless there's like a health issue, but you know you throw him on. But like I mean, what really stings about that is you put any sort of defensively minded player on, even Pedro Porro, who is not like the best defender that you're ever going to see. He probably you know gets the ball out of touch there. You know does something other than like. Puts yeah, we've, it we've never seen Pedro Porro pass it to the other team on our Pedro Porro might get like. He might pass it forward and give it to them, but he's not going to, like, give them a through ball back to his own goal, probably, because at least he sort of understands defending. It's just – it's it's rough. It's it's tough beat. And, you know, the fact that Jonas should have been off, it does, doesn't make it any easier. Uh, I can't fucking believe how the ref looked at that and how VAR looked at that, and they were like, there's nothing there. Like, he drew blood from Oliver Skip's face – with a boot that was clearly high. It wasn't like he was, like, stooping down to head the ball. It was like... And it looks worse on replay. Not that it's necessarily, like, it changes the interpretation of the rules of the game, but just in terms of, like, if you're watching that viscerally, like, watching that, his foot go into his head, like, it doesn't look good. <laughs> As Greg would say, he gave him that sweet chin music. <laughs> No, because he wasn't anywhere near his chin. He gave him that sweet orbital lobe music. <laughs> That's what I got for trying to make a wrestling joke. Exactly. Try to, try to speak a language you can understand. And It was a halluva kick. It was a big boot ski. Come on. Come on, Ben. Uh, it, was, it was really bad. It was, it was very egregious. And I don't think there's any Tottenham player ever who gets away with it like I don't know what it is against Liverpool, but it feels like they always get away with some shit like this. It's it's ridiculous. It was, uh, I can't believe he was on the pitch after that. Yeah, I, I actually agree with Ryan Mason on this. Where like I at least want an explanation. Like, you know, I you know I don't care what the explanation is or how much sense it makes, but I just like there to be some sort of explainable reason why he wasn't sent off. Whether like it was, an NFL like an NFL game, like yeah. Like, you know, I explained that, you know, you felt like Skip was stooping, which he wasn't, or explain that, you know, I don't know, the foot wasn't actually that high or, or, or whatever. But like, that's like textbook dangerous play red card sending off. Like, I, I just if that's not a red card, then I don't understand what red cards are anymore. And the thing about that lack of explanation that really pisses me off is because of Klopp's histrionics, the only statement we got from the PGMOL was a statement that, like, we've reviewed the game and we determined that we weren't unfair to Liverpool. Like, we did get that statement. That statement came out. Yeah, we know, because the like, game winner yeah. was still on the pitch at the end of the match. Like, like how yeah, That goes how a long way to balancing the fairness scales. It's, it's, like, I think I think Brian's right, because I think when we talk about VAR and all this, a lot of people focus on, like, oh, well, is it correct and is it right? And I understand that. But, you know, we've talked about this before. When you – if you're watching an NFL game and someone challenges a ruling on the field or, you know, they go to review it, they'll say 
what their thinking is. Now, it, their thinking might be stupid, and you might not agree with it. You know, when they say, "Oh, the re- the receiver didn't make a football move, so it doesn't count as a catch," which, you know, to our British listeners who don't watch American football, that is as dumb as it sounds. But at least, like you said, Brian, you understand, like, okay, this is what the referee thinks it happened. You understand the rationale and the logic that they're employing. And you're going to be mad about that. But at least on some level, you'll be like, oh, well, he didn't give him – he gave him a yellow and not a red because he thought Skip was stooping or, you know, because – I don't know what, but like at least you would sort of understand the logic going on behind the decision. And now we're just sort of, you know, it's just like a tablet that came down from the mountain and you kind of kind of figure out what it means. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is like, I don't need the explanation to happen in game even because I I recognize that that's like not necessarily a feasible option all the time. But like, you know, all of the major American sports make the officials have some amount of media availability. Now, like, usually it's just, like, one reporter. In the NFL, it's, like, one reporter gets to ask one referee questions after the game. And in the in MLB, it's kind of the same way. Then And in the NBA, the NBA is the most transparent, where they put out a report after every night, and they talk about all the calls they either got right or got wrong. Like, I'm not asking the Premier League to do that, but, like, the, the referee should have to at least talk to one reporter and give an account of those big moments. Like, okay, why is the Richarlison getting pulled back? Why is that nothing? You know, why did why wasn't there a look? Or why was there a look and why did you decide not that it was nothing? Why is the Jota thing not a red card? Why is, you know, the, the skip tackle early in the game? Why was that not a red card? Explain all those things. Like, I just want to have something. Like you said, it doesn't even have to be a good explanation. Just if you say it and I can go, well, you're a fucking idiot. Now it just looks like nothing matters. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to getting a full report, (laughs) honestly. But no, it'd be great. But like, I'm not we're not going to go, you know, zero to 100. We got to have just VAR. It's just we will talk about VAR decisions. Right. Like, I think everybody is mad about refereeing and VAR and its implementation in the Premier League. And I don't know if that more transparency doesn't do, you know, the opposite and just invite more questions than they can actually answer in a credible way. But I, I think the lack of transparency is not giving anybody any confidence that this system is working. So let's try that and see how it goes. I think they're so terrified of engaging in a discussion about it. They're, you know, I think you're right. I think I just want an open debate. I just want. No, no. But I think I think some level of transparency would go a long way to making people like, yeah, you're not happy about it. But like, whatever, you move on and get on with your day because at least, you know, why that call was made. Whereas now we're like talking about this for however long and we have no idea. Like, I have no clue why that was a yellow and not a red card. Like they're afraid to defend their beliefs in the marketplace of ideas. And I, for one, won't stand yes, for that. <laughs> I, until they debate me in public, it's not going to be sufficient. <laughs> well, I think one of the other problems is, like, American sports have adjusted their rules in such a way that they have largely accounted for the existence of instant replay and, you know, our version of VAR. You know, and and soccer is in a position where so much of their rules and so much of the interpretation of the rules is subjective. 
You know, we're at a point now where in the NFL, you know, any contact by a defensive back on a wide receiver is basically automatically pass interference. We're we're at a point where in basketball, any contact with someone shooting the ball is base is a foul. Like so. So soccer still having kind of vague. Oh, that's not a foul for me. Or that's a foul if it happens, you know, at midfield, but not in the penalty box like Soccer having those sorts of unwritten rules and weird interpretations of its actual rules makes this even more opaque than it needs to be. Because, you know, the referee's explanation for why the Jota thing wasn't a red card this week could be totally different from, you know, a very similar incident three weeks from now. And it, 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 and that's the problem, is, is that we don't have the rules that match up with the technology and and it's not working. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of angles where the refereeing and the rules and the technology are not interacting comfortably. And I think that's one part of it. And the other part is refs seem like they're punting on decisions too far, but it won't actually overturn. You know, the rule is that the ref's decision on the field is like given deference and you have to see a clear and obvious error to overturn it. And so once you let something stand, you've now created a high burden for the right call to get made because you didn't call in the first place because you didn't want to step on, you know, the instant replay's toes. But I mean, you know, obviously in this case, I don't know what kind of clear and obvious error you need for this to be seen as one. But, you know, I do think there is a case where referees don't know how to call games on the pitch in the context of how these unwritten rules are kind of generally vibes-based interpretations, how VAR is going to interpret those those calls and, and what the standard for overruling them are, because I think it's all just very, very muddy. Well, and it's, it's frustrating because you could absolutely convince me that, and we'll get off of this in a second because we could do this all day, but, you know, you could convince me the referee on the pitch saw those saw Jota and Skip going for it, thought mm, they were both going for the ball. Jota got in there a little second sooner. That's a yellow card. It's not egregious. And you could also convince me that, like, oh, well, when you look at this on a replay, it's very, very bad in a way that you might miss on the pitch. And it's, you know, it's like they're not sort of willing to roll with that to a certain extent. Like, you know, I don't think we need to, like, litigate every little thing. And God knows I'm sick. I mean, I feel like Son has had, like, 60 goals chalked off because, you know, his eyelash was a smidgen off sides on a, you know, on a monitor where you can barely tell what the hell they're talking about. So I am, like, sympathetic to the fact this is all over-legislated. But if you're going to have VAR, like, what the hell's the point if you're not going to, like, actually take it seriously so anyway i want to you know talk about a real controversy which is how everyone doesn't acknowledge that Jurgen klopp sucks and is just as obnoxious as jose Mourinho. i was really fucking irritated with his comments after the game you know i mean we got his standard bullshit of where he's angry that every team doesn't just play a worse version of what liverpool wants him to play so we walk right into their hands then he's yelling about the referee i mean I don't know. I, I, I'm so over this guy, and I hate him so much. I know I'd love him if he was our manager, but, like, he's not, so I don't. I mean, on the bright side, he probably tore his hamstring, so. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything to add to the Klopp discussion. I mean, I find him to be um, annoying, and like you said, if he was our manager, I'm sure I'd really, really love him. Um, but, 
you know. Even still? Like, even with this Liverpool stint under his belt? Oh, eh. <laughs> yeah, probably still, though. If he, if we were fun again, it'd probably, I'd probably be on board. Probably depends um, on, you know, before the decline. Yeah, and it, yeah, and if he brought in the good drugs and everything, I'm sure it'd be fine. Um, no, I think, you know, for him to come out after the match and talk about, like, you know, that we need to play better football and blah, 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 and it, we being Spurs in this, this instance, like, I don't like that. Um, I mean, I agree. I think we should play better football, but like in that game specifically, I thought we played some pretty good football. Um, so, you know, um, I don't know. Klopp has his shtick and it very obviously works with those fans. So, you know, play the hits, man, I guess. But like also just leave my team alone. It's just, it's gross. He's punching down. Like, you're talking about Spurs, who have had this awful season, with a manager who's, like, you know, just gotten his badge. You know, a very, very young manager who, you know, is trying to hold it together. And you're punching down, talking about style of play especially, which is bad enough if you were kicking our ass. I'm sorry, dude. You blew a 3 nothing lead, and you probably should have lost this game. You definitely should have drawn this game. And the only reason you won it is because the referee didn't send off one of your guys for karate kicking a dude in the face. Like, I don't know. Like, you're amped up after a match, but yeah, it's just it, it's all ridiculous. Why are you taunting the referee in the face? The referee who's kept you in this game, you know? Why are you talking this way? It's obnoxious. It's unhelpful. I mean, I'm not saying easy to go out there and give Ryan Mason a tongue bath, but it's like it's just unseemly to me. That's how you know he's scared. He's threatened. He's threatened. You, Brian. That's why. That's why we should bring Ryan Mason back. Jurgen Klopp is threatened by him. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I, you know, I remember with like Jose Mourinho, the worst we ever were. We would get like the pat on the head of like, oh, you know, they're brave lads trying their best kind of thing, and like it's like that condescending dismissiveness is like so much worse than an opposition manager doing what Klopp did because that means you got under his skin that like I don't want like the respectful comments from an opposition manager after a match I want them to fucking hate us and I want them to talk shit about us because that means that they aren't like dismissive of you and there's nothing worse than being dismissible I think as a team So looking forward uh, to the rest of the season, we got a couple games left. Mason's our manager. We've gotten through the worst of it, I think. But how are you feeling about the rest of the year? I mean, I think we're all just eager to get it over with. But Brian, like, I mean, how are you looking at the remaining couple games? Uh, I'm just trying to make time to go play golf um, so that I know. Um, I don't know. I like we said kind of earlier in the show, like it's kind of a lost season in terms of like player evaluation. So what are you doing with these last few games? I guess, you know, you're just kind of trying to hold on to, you know, some semblance of hope for a European position. And um, that's kind of it. I mean, I would like it if we played some of the young guys just to give them some more minutes, just so we, you know, had an idea of maybe we, maybe we have something, maybe we don't. Um, but I don't know. I mean, 
you know, we could relegate both Leeds and West Ham. That would be kind of cool. Um, you know, but I don't know. I, I just there's not a lot that recommends these last five games of the season to me. Like I, I don't, I can't imagine five. Four games. Five. No. Oh, West Ham. I'm sorry. I was West Ham. We play West Ham in July, and that's what Google says. And for some reason, that's on my 2022-23 season calendar. So I apologize for being adamantly wrong. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's not going to be, like, amazingly fun. It's going to be probably just more of this. I'm not I mean, so sure. Like, we're going to play worse teams. Like, I'm not sure they're going to catch it. It's going to be as tough as the last two weeks have been. I mean, look. We lost to Bournemouth. You remember that, right? Not under Ryan Mason. We. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, at this point, Europe is basically off the table. You know, Champions League is not happening. Right now, we're in sixth. We're behind Liverpool, who has a game in hand. Um, we're level with Aston Villa. And we're two points clear of Brighton, who have three games in hand. Like, three. Three. So, you know, call that six points, and that still puts them ahead of us. Uh, it's entirely likely, even if we win out, you know, that we are not qualifying for anything other than the European Conference League at best. Um, and, you know, with that in mind, it's like, what are we using these last four games for? To just win out and just, like, try to have some dignity? Should we be trying to see... You know, if Dan Juma is a player worth buying for $25 million in the summer, should we see if Sar is a guy who we want to be a meaningful part of this team next year? Like, I, I don't know. Is, should we be given Alfie Divine minutes? Like, I don't – I'm not opposed to just taking this as a write-off and, you know, still trying to win games, but allowing ourselves the freedom to say, let's look forward – uh, and and try and you know evaluate some of the guys on the fringes of the squad a little bit better. Um, and I don't know, maybe I mean maybe that's the wrong approach. Maybe winning four games is the kind of mental boost we need to go into the summer for everybody to feel good about you know the next season. But I'm not. I would be mad if like we started playing around a little bit and trying something and trying some new formations, new players, whatever, to just see if there's something there. I think to a point you can do both, uh, you know, Alfie Devine, I think for instance, that is really, you know, you're, you're, you're taking some chances there that my guess is they're not going to want to take, but I think certainly, you know, Dan Juma, you know, Pedro Poro, let's see, I mean, you're kind of forced to play him, but you know, you can see what a lot of these guys are about playing SAR a little bit more, for instance, I think would go a long way. I mean, to me, it's like finished with some dignity. Um, you know, I, I don't know how I feel like just being in any sort of Europe helps your, you know, general, vibes i guess but like god i i don't know europa league's fine i just really don't want to be in the conference league but it's that's probably going to be even assuming what it's fifth and sixth are probably going to be europa league so even that might be a tougher to hoe depending on how the teams around us do um i don't know i i, I did not enjoy our conference league experience last time around now admittedly that was with nuno uh but yeah i did not enjoy that I, I, I don't know, like, because then you get into weird squad construction issues if you're not in Europe at all. So, I mean, it gets kind of ugly, but, you know, maybe a season without Europe would do us some good, especially if we have a new manager like 
you know, getting our stuff in order. But that said, that's less of an opportunity to play younger guys and fringe guys, although we never seem to really take advantage of that under multiple managers. So who the hell knows? I don't know. I, I would like to just finish the season with some dignity. My hope is that either by the end of the season or as soon as the season is over, we just know who our new manager is. Because for me, it's it's not, you know, like aside from one or two players, like, oh, let's find out about Danjuma. Maybe we'll play Divine. Maybe, you know, we'll see more out of Pedro Poro. It's for me, it's like, I just want to get on, get on with it. Let's get to the next thing. Like, you know, because I think this the squad is still good enough. I think there's still some things to dream about if you get the right manager in this summer. Now, that is not nearly all the club needs to do, and I'm sure we will have those conversations at a future date. But, you know, you bring in, in theory, a Nogglesman or a slot or, you know, that guy out of Celtic. Like, it's, you know, I, I don't think this necessarily, Necessarily, I think this could be a Champions League level team next year, um, even if we're not going to be in the Champions League. Like, I think there is some relatively quick turnaround that you could see with this club next year with the right manager. Uh, and, you know, I kind of just want to start dreaming on that. Uh, I, you know, are we going to hire Nogglesman? Are we going to hire Slot? I want to think about what those guys are going to do with this team. In the meantime, I would just like us to, you know, I would like to have a little, I had some fun watching that Spurs game this weekend. Obviously, I would have had more fun if we won or didn't, you know, embarrass ourselves in the first 20 minutes. But, you know, I would like to have fun for the next four weeks or whatever it is. That, that's that's what I want now the rest of the year. Yeah, that's fair. And I got to think, you know, winning four games probably makes it easier for us to hire a manager than losing four games does. Like, the optics of this club just look like we're kind of a mess if we <laughs> lose well, half the season. I've I've complained about this to you, Ben, and we've talked about it in our writers' room. But like Chelsea is by any metric having a much worse season than we are. It is absolutely shambolic. Like Frank has lost like five games in a row or some shit like that. They're on their third manager. I guess we're also on our third manager of the season. But you know they're 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 in a pretty bad. We didn't pay twenty million to get a guy in the middle of the season. So I mean Chelsea is having an absolute train wreck of a season, and I feel like we're still somehow the punchline. Like, you know, just let's just win out to keep it like a little respectable, I guess. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Look, the thing about football is we're always the punchline. The joke's always on Spurs. You just got to get used to that. Like. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like how we're playing. Like we could win out and we'd still be a punchline. Like, we made a fine. Champions League final and we somehow became a punchline. Right. Like I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not gonna say I'm immune to it, but like I does, like it's fine. Just we just gotta go do our own thing and they'll write whatever punchlines they want to write and I don't care. If Arsenal blow the title, that's a bigger punchline to me. And that's the punchline that I'm going to enjoy over the course oh, of the if they season. Get, if they get the poor Brendan Rodgers treatment that he got every time they failed to make the Champions League at Leicester, like, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, not pleasant. But yeah. I think we can remember that Arsenal did... Uh, didn't they blow it again this weekend? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what. It is something It is something that this year has gone the way it's gone for Arsenal and the way it's gone for us. And somehow they weren't really in the mood to celebrate St. Totteringham's Day. So, 
you know, hopefully that bodes well for how the rest of the season is going to go. I'm just, I'm trying to stay a little optimistic because I think we're being linked even more so than a few years ago when we fired Mourinho. I think we're being linked with a pretty high caliber of manager right now. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased how substantive our links with slot and Nogglesman who look like it looked like it's going to be one or the other. And I'd be, I don't know about you guys. I'd be pretty happy if we brought either of them in. So I think, you know, we're, we're doing a lot better considering what a total mess this season has been. We're doing a lot better in terms of who our next manager could be than, you know, I would have expected. Do we want to talk about our flights to Dusseldorf? Yeah, I guess we could. Um, some, uh, some, was it Korean Redditors? Figured out today from a photo uh, that someone took of uh, Scott Munn and Daniel Levy at the airport that they are almost certainly taking a flight to Dusseldorf, which is where Nagelsmann agency is. I mean, I think any reading of the news would tell you that we are seriously talking. We are talking to Nagelsmann, which is pretty incredible considering he turned down the Chelsea job. I would imagine part of that is... He feels like he can exert a pretty significant level of control at Spurs. I feel pretty okay with that, considering how little leverage we have. But, I don't know, Brian, how are you feeling about Nogglesman potentially being an actual candidate for this club? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously great for us. Um, and because I think he's actually probably the most talented coach out there. Like, I'm not that dissuaded by the Bayern stint and also the more of Thomas Tuchel's Bayern, and I see the the more convinced I am that Nagelsmann was actually doing a really good job with his team. Um, so I don't know. I think I think it's the best possible option for us. And if it is in fact real, then I mean, I I'm kind of willing to give him you know whatever level of control he wants. Um, I know that that's maybe not great for like long term at the club and you know maybe you have to talk to him about you know what that level of control actually looks like but if he wants to be involved with transfers can it really be worse than what we've been doing i mean <laughs> famous last words right of but, course yeah i mean i um i won't say i'm not nervous about that like i i think we definitely need some structures that supersede the existence of any celebrity manager we may hire and you know we made that devil's bargain with Conte and we we're like well you know he's got Paratici it's fine we'll give him his his Parasitch and you know he's a good enough coach that it's going to be fine and like it wasn't and I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going to happen if we give Nagelsmann total control um you know you like to think that his version of control involves helping this club build some kind of structure and it's not just him signing players by fiat uh but the rumors are not like clear about that. And it is a little concerning that we might just be the Nogglesman show for whatever that entails. I have no idea how good he is at player recruitment and scouting. Um, and like, if he actually has the tools to do what we need in a transfer market to compete at the level that we are at. Um, but you're right. It's, it's not worse than what we've got. And he is a good enough manager that if you're going to give somebody the keys to the whole operation, you could do a lot worse. And if he sucks, then, you know, we do this again in a year, <laughs> whatever. I'm used to it. Well, I think it's the other thing about Nogglesman is I don't know how good idea we have about what 
Like, what does Nogglesman player recruitment look like? I mean, I'm sure you can glean some stuff from his time at Bayern and his time at Red Bull, but, you know, he's been in, like, at Red Bull, he was in a system. And at Bayern, he was in a, I mean, I think he had more say, but he was also in a different type of system. I mean, I, if you're telling me this means, you know, if he can't get a Sadio Mane or a Rafael Leal, he's going to throw his toys out of the pram, then yeah, that's pretty concerning. If it's, I want specific players and, you know, I think all of us are assuming at least to some degree, he's going to want some young, you know, players he can develop to a certain extent. You know, I think that's a little less concerning. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. We, we do not have a lot of leverage. So, you know, I am pretty certain that if we get Nogglesman in here, he's going to have a lot of say. And in some level, he should have a lot of say, you know, especially if we're, you know, I would imagine that if there's anything the last few weeks have done is it is laid bare how much of a project this club is, even if maybe we're not as bad as, you know, the Newcastle game would lead you to believe. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, even if you have a pretty favorable view of this roster. And, you know, I got to think if Nogglesman comes here, he's coming with a different remit than Mourinho or uh, um, Conte, even though he is a sort of similar glamour manager. I, I would imagine you're bringing him in here for at least a slightly longer term project than those guys came in here for, with, which was a very sort of win now, you know, fix this, fix this broken car so it can go run a race. You know, I, I think Nogglesman would be coming in here to do more significant work on this team. But I, I'm making a lot of assumptions. All we see in the press is that he wants significant control over transfers or, or something to that effect. And that could mean a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, like, not to get ahead of ourselves, but, like, you know, looking at, like, the version of Liverpool that Klopp took over. And, you know, they were a perennial eighth-place team. It looked like he was settling and would be on to better things if he did well. And he has now been there for eight years, which makes him the fourth longest serving manager in the history of the Premier League. Like, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but, you know, this high profile German manager who seems like he should be doing better than us, frankly, uh, ending up here for, a long while because he has the ability and the authority to like turn this club around in his image um, is appealing. You know, obviously Klopp had like a very like robust transfer apparatus at Liverpool, but I don't know. I'm just, just imagining better things are possible. And I, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that imagination. I think, I think if you're if you're like dreaming about better things for Spurs, it's just very easy to dream on Nogglesman. I mean, you can see a guy who has worked with young players. You see a guy who is extremely tactically flexible. He just he's young. I mean, there's just a lot to get. There's a lot to dream on there, and you know, and I, it, it certainly makes me more comfortable than a guy like Slot, who just hasn't you know performed at the level that Nogglesman has. I mean, you know, Nogglesman's been in the Bundesliga and done well in the Champions League and all that. Um, you know, and I would imagine for a guy like Slot, things have to be a little more just so. But I don't know. It's just it's just exciting that, you know, not all, such a big name manager, a guy who is clearly Chelsea's number one target, um, you know, would want to come here. And I think it's really interesting when you look at it. He clearly turned down Chelsea and, you know, because they're such a mess right now, you know, it, it, it's, the, you know, their financial fair play might be in trouble behind the scenes. It's in total turmoil. 
you know, there's a lot going on at Chelsea. Now, Mauricio Pochettino thinks chaos is a ladder, and that's okay, and he'll seize control. But I think it's very interesting that for everything that has gone on in this club, you know, our, our director of football had to step down because of the crimes he committed at his last club. You know, for all the mess, the Newcastle game, everything, that he's willing to entertain us, like, I think is fascinating that, that, that you know, he's turning down Chelsea, but interested in talking to us. I mean, he still might turn us down, but... It's just it's interesting that we haven't put him off yet. Yeah, it's fun to dream on for a little bit. It's nice to have dreams. <laughs> yeah, what was that like? It's been too long. Brian, do you have any dreams? Not anymore. They've all been <laughs> crushed. Well, well, on that note, <laughs> I think it's time to wrap things up. Uh, Brian, where can people find you crushing dreams or other objects on the Internet? <laughs> well, crushing other objects, that's my OnlyFans, and I'm not giving that out on this this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you? Uh, on the internet, you're only, you can share your OnlyFans if you really want. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter talking about, you know, people getting kicked in the face in the squared circle um, at Skipjack0079. And you can find my OnlyFans at Comrade U Spurs. For Ben, for Brian, I've been your host, Greg, and also for Brett Rainbow. Um, come on, U Spurs.